This is the bit that Paul has been sort of almost getting to, and then, oh, I need to say this before I get to this. This is the bit uh, where he deals with the question of prophecy and tongues, and what those gifts are, and how they're to be used. So, we're going to read this, and um, you'll see that there's uh, interesting stuff going on, and we're going to try and... We won't get to the bottom of everything. Um, Just to let you know that there's little bits of paper around, on the floor, and pens. If you want to make some notes, you can. But they're also there because we're going to have a question time at dinner after this. We'll head over to Borough High Street. We'll have dinner together, and then there's going to be a question time. So if you want to ask questions on the whole subject of spiritual gifts, on these things I'm talking about, then scribble those down as we go, and we'll have a crack at answering some specific questions um, a bit later on. But let's, uh, let's read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read 1 to 25. We may not get all the way to verse 25 today. We'll see how we go. Okay? Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? 
But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin, are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Great. Are we feeling up for this? Are we, are we excited about this? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think it's fairly clear that Paul wants us to be eager about spiritual gifts. And in particular, he wants us to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. So he says at the end of uh, chapter 12, verse 31, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We were like, ooh, greater gifts, which are the greater gifts? It's like, and then Paul was kind of like, well, hang on a second. You're all going to go obsessive about the greater gifts. Let me now show you the most excellent way, the way of love. Because before I tell you anything about gifts, you need to know love. Love is the way. Love is the way you must walk. So we spent the last two weeks thinking about this theme of love. Love never fails. Love is what lasts. Love is what is lasting forever. Love is the one thing that you're to pursue with all your heart. Whatever you do, get love. So he's laid that out. He's nailed that in chapter 13. So he comes back in chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You see, the way of love, saying, oh, let's just love each other, doesn't mean that we are therefore just to kind of not do anything. The way of love is not apathetic and passive. The way of love does stuff. It pursues stuff. And it particularly pursues prophecy because prophecy is an act of love. And when you get to the end of chapter 14, just to show you that this really is what's going on in this chapter, look how he finishes the chapter, the whole section, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So it seems fairly clear to me, as you read this passage, that Paul wants us to be eager to prophesy. So here's my prayer. This is what I've been praying this afternoon, that we would be a church that is eager to prophesy. That you would leave this afternoon saying, I really, Father, please help me to prophesy. That may not be a prayer that you feel very sure about asking. And what does that mean? That means we need to be really clear what prophecy is. That's what our task is this afternoon. To get that as clear as we can, just reading what it says. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm not trying to do anything complicated. I just want to read what it says and put together a definition of prophecy. It is a six-part definition. Okay, And we're going to build up this sentence as we go through. And hopefully by the end we'll have a bit more of an idea about what prophecy is. But if you want my summary, my summary is be like Neville. Okay? That is my summary of this sermon. Be like Neville. Now I realise that for some of you, you'll be thinking, uh, Jonty's made up another character that we have to put up with. I'd like to be very clear. Neville is a real person. He is someone that I know. Someone that you could go and meet for yourself. In order to meet Neville, you'd have to go to Burgess Park at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Because Neville is a park runner. And he's there every Saturday morning. 
And as I reflected on what Paul said about prophecy, Neville came to mind. Not in a completely, uh, <laughs> not in a complete way. I want to explain why. The way Neville runs Park Run is very interesting. He runs it different to most people. Most people run Park Run, and what they're desperate to get is their personal best, their PB. That's it. They want their PB. That's what they're running for. I want my PB. Neville doesn't run like that. Neville runs, and his aim in running is to help someone else get their PB. It's what he does every week. He runs with someone different, he runs alongside them, and he talks to them all the way through. He says, come on. Keep going. You can do it. And they're, no, I can't. I'm dying. <laughs> and he says, come on. You can, let's keep going. Let's keep going. You can do it. And the big aim of Neville is not his own PB, but theirs. And the thing that gives Neville great joy is when someone else gets their PB. That's prophecy. And I'm going to try and show you that as a church, if we could be like Neville, all of us, a church full of Nevilles, it would be, we'd be terrific. What a church would be. Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time, in fact, forget it, if you're not even a Christian at all, you will find life hard. Life's tough. It's hard to keep going. And there are days when you wake up and you just find it really hard. And it's hard to struggle on. And what you need in that moment is someone to come alongside you and to Neville you. It's a verb now. <laughs> Don't know how that happened. Now, of course, the greatest Neville in the world is called Jesus. You see, what is Jesus? Jesus is the one who comes alongside us. Jesus is the one who comes into our world, the very Son of God, the perfect Son of God, who comes into our world, who walks our road, who walks shoulder to shoulder, who stands with us. Jesus is the one who went even to a cross to die for us, to give us the strength to keep living. And if you don't know Jesus and you're finding life hard, you need to know that Jesus is the one who came to walk alongside you. He came to carry your burden. He came to deal with the sin in our lives. He came to deal with the messed up lives that we have. He walks alongside. And then, you know what, Jesus... As Jesus left the earth to return to heaven, he said, I'm going to send you another Neville. That's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, there's going to be another who will come alongside you. The Holy Spirit, the counsellor, the one who walks alongside you, the one who will be with you, who will dwell in you, who, is God, who will guide you into all truth. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 14, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and lives in us so that we can then Neville one another. That's prophecy. Now, I think our problem is that what happens when we start to talk about tongues and prophecy is that we put them in this box over here labelled, ooh, slightly strange, not sure what to do with that. And we have all sorts of different experiences here. Some of us have been in churches where prophecy and tongues are gifts that have been used and exercised and you, you've had experience of that. Others of us have been in churches where we've never even heard the thing talked about. So we've got a bit of work to do here because we're not all in the same place, but we are one family. 
And therefore, rather than freaking out and kind of going, oh, this is really weird, actually to help each other, we've got to listen to each other. I guarantee you there's not one person in this room, sitting or standing, who knows exactly, absolutely what's going on, who's got it absolutely nailed. There's not one of us who's perfect on this. We need one another. Therefore, we've got to learn from each other. We've got to nevel each other, help each other, stand alongside, eagerly desire the greater gift, particularly the gift of prophecy. Now, I want to take those gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy in tongues, the two gifts that are mentioned in chapter 14, I want to take them out of the slightly weird box and I want to say they're not as weird as you think they are. They're not some strange category, you know, this kind of prayer and sort of normally things that we go, that's okay, I can deal with that. But then there's weird stuff. Ooh, don't know about that. Now, I want to bring those all together and say, no, they're not weird. And I want us to think through a a definition of prophecy. That's the main theme of this. But as we go, I'll say some stuff about speaking in tongues as well. And then you can pick up later on uh, in question time uh, any questions you've got uh, about speaking in tongues. But let me just say to you, if this is your first time here, and if you're not a Christian, you've heard the most important part of this talk already. Jesus came to walk alongside you, to save you, to love you, to be your burden-carrying Neville, and therefore you need him. So if everything else that I say sounds completely bonkers to you, stick with that. <laughs> well, let's, have a, let's get into it. I'm going to... Um, my six-part definition. Um, and I'm going to show you that tongues is good, but prophecy is better. Um, let's start from verse 2. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So he starts off with the gift of tongues, and he says, let me just do a bit of stuff on tongues. Let me talk to you about this gift. Now, here's my brief summary of the gift of tongues. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language which you have not learned uh, by the Spirit, that may be a human language or it may be an angelic, heavenly language, a kind of a, a language that has no human meaning. But here, clearly, it is spoken to God. It is in the subsection of prayer. You have prayer and as a subset of prayer you have speaking in tongues. Now, I want to say there is no indication in the Bible that speaking in tongues, well, for a start, there's no indication it's a very big deal because this is really one of the only places it's talked about. The gift of tongues in the book of Acts is quite a different gift because on the day of Pentecost when they spoke in tongues, they were speaking to people. So it's clearly a different gift here. This is something different. This is a private prayer language between a a person and God. But I want to suggest to you it's not as weird as it sounds. Because at this point you're going, that just sounds weird. That sounds weird if you've not come across this before. But I want to say to you, it's not as weird as it sounds. There's no indication here that it's an ecstatic language. Please hear that. By which I mean, there's no indication that you sort of sit there, that the gift of tongues is a gift where you sit there with your eyes closed going, okay, God, I'm just going to wait till you do something. There's no indication that's how it works. And then suddenly you get zapped and suddenly stuff starts coming out. That's that's not how it works. That's not what it says. 
If you said that to me about prayer, well, this is how I pray. I just sit on my own in a room and I just wait until suddenly something starts happening. If I said that to you, you'd go, no, that's not how you do it. You just start praying. And I actually want to say that I think the same is true through the gift of tongues. You, you make the decision to start speaking in tongues. You, you try it. You have a go. And if you've ever prayed, particularly if you've prayed out loud, or you, 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 sometimes you sit and you go, Did, have, I, have I actually just prayed or not? I'm not sure. Felt a bit odd. If, particularly when you're starting out, it feels a bit weird. I'm not sure if I'm really praying or not. That can be true the gift of tongues. It can be like, I'm not sure if I'm speaking in tongues or not. You have a little go and it, you think, I don't know if this is speaking in tongues or not. I don't know. And some people will say, actually, this isn't helping me at all. This is ridiculous. And that's fine. Because not everybody speaks in tongues. It's not, it's not necessary. But for some people, it is a very helpful way of engaging, particularly in those times when you don't know what to say, when you're struggling, when you're finding life hard, or when, you, or when you're overflowing in worship and praise, and you just, you use language that you don't know. That's okay. But it's not weird. Um, you can ask me more about that. I haven't got time to do more on that now. Um, but it's a gift. It's a gift for some, not for all. It's very clear at the end of chapter 12 that not all speak in tongues. But let's get to prophecy. Okay? Let's get to the first definition of prophecy. The first part of my definition is that prophecy is speaking. This is a six-part definition. Speaking is the first part. So have a look at... Um, Chapter 3, but the one who prophesies speaks. Now I realise this may sound quite Mickey Mouse, but this is, uh, I'm just trying to build up from what it says. To prophesy you have to speak. You have to say something. It uses words. It isn't a feeling, it isn't an experience, it is a speaking thing. You speak it out. That's the first part of the definition. But you speak, here's the second part, to people. Here's the contrast with tongues. Remember, speaking in tongues, when you speak in a tongue, you speak to God. But in prophecy, you speak to people, to those around you. Which, of course, means you can't prophesy on your own. That would be weird according to this definition of prophecy. You can't sit at home and go, oh, I'm going to spend the afternoon prophesying to myself. You can't do that, because prophecy is speaking to someone else. That's what it is. Now, at this point we have to be careful, because this idea of prophet and prophecy is used in different ways through the Bible. It has a similar feel, but it's used in different ways. And perhaps a helpful way to do this, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, but we'll give it a go. Is capital P prophecy and small p prophecy. So you get people who are capital P prophets. Someone like Isaiah. Here comes Isaiah. <laughs> Sorry. Isaiah, right? Isaiah is a prophet. And God's word comes to Isaiah and he speaks it to the people. So it's still speaking and it's still to people. But there's something about Isaiah that makes him different. He is commissioned as a prophet and his word, the prophetic word he speaks, carries the very authority of God. He can say, thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. 
And when someone says, this is what the Lord says, you grab a pen and you write it down and you include it in the Bible. This is what the Lord says goes in the Bible. Because it's authoritative from God uh, for the people for all time. Capital P Prophets. And the capital P Prophets continue on into the New Testament too where you have capital P Prophets um, closely related to the Apostles who could still speak the Word of God and wrote the Word of God for us. So there were still people who when they wrote a letter you said that's the Word of God. Paul uh, was a capital P Prophet in the sense that he was writing the authoritative Word of God. He was speaking the Word of God to people. Now, there are no capital P prophets left today. There is no one today who you would hear their words and you would write it down and you'd say, we'd better add another book to the Bible. Right? That's, there's no one. God has finished his work. His written work. God has finished that type of prophecy. But... There's another kind of prophecy which goes back to the Old Testament. It's not, just, it's not just new, right? In the Old Testament, there is prophecy that wasn't written down. There were people who prophesied. We don't know what they said. Because when they spoke, it wasn't, oh, here's some word of God that we need to write down and put in a Bible. It was, they were speaking to people by God's Spirit, but it was different. With a different authority, a different level, a different importance. So, you know, Saul, King Saul, he prophesied once. Uh, there was all sorts of uh, prophets who were around and doing all sorts of prophesying stuff. And then you get into the New Testament, there's other prophets. You get people like Agabus who prophesied. You, there's loads of prophets around. They were prophesying. Sometimes that was the form of a prediction. So Agabus said in, in Acts, you're, uh, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to get bound up. And uh, I wouldn't go there, that's a bad idea. Do you know what Paul did? He said, Agabus, thanks, but I'm going to disobey what you've just said to me. Why? Because Agabus was a small P prophet, not a capital P prophet. Paul was not bound by a small P prophet, but is bound by a capital P prophet. Agabus was right, but his interpretation of his prophecy was wrong. Paul was bound when he got to Jerusalem... But Paul went anyway. So sometimes this prophesying has the sense of being able to say something about the future. Sometimes it's the ability to know something about someone. Sometimes it's the ability to speak truth into someone's situation. All sorts of things. But it's always speaking to people. We're going to add the next bit of our definition because we need it um, to help us. So prophecy, speaking to people. Here's the next bit. For their good. For their good. So have a look at chapter 14, verse 4 again. uh, Verse 3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. There's Neville. There he is. Running alongside. And he's speaking. Why is he speaking? He's speaking with with the express intention of strengthening, encouraging and comforting them. He doesn't run along. I've watched him. He doesn't run along saying... Uh, I've got a dog called Matilda. That's irrelevant. That's trivial. That's nonsense. The only thing that matters in that moment is, come on, 
You can do it. I can't. Dying. You can. Push to the end. You've only got another four and a half K to go. Come on. <laughs> and you speak for their good. And prophecy will always have that intention. To do someone else good. You speak to people for their encouraging and strengthening. And boy, don't we need that. Have you ever experienced that? Someone, a Christian, coming alongside you when you were really struggling and they said, oh, look, can I pray for you? Can I share a verse from the Bible with you? Do you not see? That's prophecy. According to this, speaking to people for their good. Not speaking about trivial stuff. Not sitting down and saying, oh, you know, did you see uh, Eurovision last night? Uh, there was a woman who won and there were chickens in the background. Like, seriously, this is what fills our televisions, <laughs> the trivial. And it's okay for us to talk about Eurovision and have a bit of a laugh, but is that all we talk about? Speaking about Eurovision is not prophetic. <laughs> have I made that clear? I say that just for the recording, just to make it absolutely clear to all those who listen on the internet. Uh, But, to speak to one another about serious things, for good, to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Do it for their good. It goes on, look, see, verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Look, it's fine to go for your PB if you're a runner. It's just not as good as helping someone else get theirs. So speaking in tongues is fine, it edifies yourself. But here's the danger, right? If you're obsessed with your PB, it changes how you view everyone else in the race. Because as you run along, what do you see around you? Not now people to help, but people to beat. Right? And you see someone struggling up ahead of you, and you don't think, how can I encourage them? You think, yes, I'm passing them. Off I go. And you use them to help you get your PB, to, to push yourself forward. That's the danger with tongues. That's what's happening in Corinth. They're using tongues for their own PB, for their own personal benefit, in order to say, look at us. And Paul says, no, tongues is fine. Tongues is good on your own in a personal encouragement with God. You edify yourself, but it's nothing compared to prophecy. Because in prophecy, you come alongside someone else and you say, can I help you? So verse... Five, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. Yeah, of course, because it's encouraging. Not everyone will, but Paul says it's a good gift. Why wouldn't I want that for you? But even more to prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets, so the church may be edified. You know, that's the whole push of this thing. It's, it's to be edified. Okay. Fourth thing in my definition. Speaking to people for their good, clearly. Right? Prophecy is clear. It makes sense. So look at verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? That's a great Neville question. Neville, Neville comes along and says, what good will I be to you today? He's looking. He's looking. Who's the, who's the one who's struggling today who I could get alongside? I love that. I love Neville. What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, 
How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Here's a great illustration. Look, I'll, I'll demonstrate this for you. Right, so I'm going to play you a tune. Did you know what that was? I played all the right notes. I just, I just didn't play them in order. That was, that was all the right notes for Flight of the Bumblebee. They were all there. It's just that you couldn't discern what I was playing because there was no distinction between the notes. Paul says that's what speaking in tongues is like. It doesn't make any sense. No, no one can understand. How does that help anyone? Or verse 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? When you prophesy, when someone prophesies, people aren't sat there going, oh, I wonder what he means. I wonder what that means. In the same way that in battle, there's a trumpet blast. You don't get all the, all the army going, oh, I wonder what that trumpet means. I don't know, perhaps. As soon as you hear the trumpet, you're like, ah, oh, battle. And when someone prophesies, you know exactly what they mean and you know it calls you to battle. Come on, brother, let's fight. Come on, sister, let's keep going. There's a clear call in prophecy. It calls us to battle. So you've got to speak intelligible words with your tongue. Otherwise, how will anyone know what you're saying? You're just speaking into the air. Similarly, with it uses the illustration next to foreign languages. If you don't understand what the person's saying, it's no good to you. That's why when we did um, the Lord's Prayer here, Phil, we had a funny conversation earlier where Phil said, Dante, I just had a thought. I was thinking of getting people to pray in different languages on Sunday. But that's going to be a bit confusing compared to what we're then doing. In, which is why we said, okay, no, actually important we know what we're saying. And so we had the Lord's Prayer in English and then we heard it in different languages, but we knew the interpretation. So we do try and think about these things. <laughs> and so Paul is saying, be eager for gifts that build up the church. Be eager for gifts that help people. Can I say, I think this clearly thing is really important. Mm. A lot of what I think gets talked about as prophecy is just plain weird. It makes no sense and people haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Mm. That's not prophecy. You know, if I stand here and say something like, I feel like uh, God is saying there's someone here, and I don't know, something like the letter D or something like that. There's a, there's a D or something. Someone's concerned for someone with a D in their name. I mean, how many people? There's like how many people now, right? That's weird. Okay, that is how that is how con men do it. It's a con. Watch Darren Brown take apart a spiritualist on YouTube. Just watch him. He can do Darren Brown can do that. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about some weird thing where we sort of say, oh, I sense that there's someone here who has us. Not like that. Because I'm like, why didn't God give you the whole name? <laughs> why has he just given you a D? Derek Philip. Thomas, where are you? <laughs> if God wants to speak, he can do that. And can I say, sometimes I think he does. Mm. But you will know because it will be clear. There won't be a vagueness to it. I was in a church once and a guy said, um, I'm thinking of an orange. And I'm just thinking, 
They all then had a discussion about what that might mean. That's not prophecy. Prophecy is crystal clear. It's absolutely understandable. You speak to people for their good clearly. Fifth, right, we know that. Fifth, you do it togetherly. <laughs> Have a look at verse 13 onwards. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. See, the distinction that Paul is making is he's saying there's a way of praying which is just about me and God. That's much more tongues-like speak, uh, praying. But then there's a way of engaging with God which people can understand. So he says, I want to pray. I don't want to not pray with my spirit. I don't want to not do that. But I want to pray with my mind. I want to pray in a way which is clear, prophetically. I want to sing with my spirit. But I want to sing with my understanding. I want to sing things that are clear and true. Because otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who's now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving? Because they don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks enough, but no one else is edified. It it makes an exclusive experience of church rather than a togetherness experience of church. Prophecy will always include people, not exclude. Tongues will exclude people. Tongues will leave people going, what are they doing? don't know. Let's just hope it stops soon. <laughs> but prophecy will lead to people going, yes. Hmm. Praise God. Amen. Because you will say things which are clear and are true and everyone will say Amen as we praise God together. So prophecy is something we do together. Prophecy is something for the gathered church. Prophecy is something you do with others. You can't do it on your own as I said earlier. In fact, Paul says that prophecy is 2,000 times better than speaking in tongues. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. I don't think he's bragging. I just think he's... I don't know, maybe it's difficult to see he's not bragging. But, you know, I think he's saying... I don't think he's bragging. Sorry, Paul. I don't think he's bragging. I think he's saying it's good. He he wants to keep emphasising, just because I'm saying prophecy is better, I'm not saying that tongues is somehow bad. Just because prophecy is better. But he says, I, 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 but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. 2,000 times better to speak prophecy than tongues. We're going to um, stop this. I want to tile this together now. We'll, we'll pick it up uh, next week at that point. But there's one fifth, sixth bit of my uh, definition left. Because some of you might still be sitting here going, okay, I get all of that. But how do I do that? Can I do that? Who's supposed to do that? Well, the last part of my definition is speaking to people for their good, clearly, togetherly, by the Spirit. Don't forget, all the way through, this is a spiritual gift. Mm. This is something given by the Spirit. This is not you having a clever idea and sharing it with your friends. This is not good advice. This is not sensible common sense. This is something the Spirit enables you to do. 
Which means that if you're a Christian, there is not one person in this room who cannot prophesy. According to this definition. Not one person. In fact, one of the marks of this age that we live in, according to Joel chapter 2, who was a prophet back in the Old Testament... He said, Joel was here looking forward, right? He was a prophet. He was saying, there's going to come a day when the Spirit's going to be so poured out on all people that everyone's going to prophesy. Young and old, men and women, uh, everybody, all of them are going to prophesy. Why? Well, because the Spirit of God now lives in you. You have been given the Spirit. It's what happens when you become a Christian. You can't say Jesus is Lord without speaking by the Spirit. That is the first prophetic act of the Christian, is to say Jesus is Lord. That is a spirit prophetic declaration, which you can't make without the Spirit's power. So you've already prophesied. And our job is to learn together how to prophesy, how to do this, how to speak this way. And it starts, according to Paul, by eagerly desiring it. Which I guess means saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me to prophesy? By which I mean, Holy Spirit, would you help me to speak to people for their good, clearly and togetherly? To say something. Not to rely on your own wisdom, not to rely on your own stuff, but say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to say something. And you may feel really, really nervous. You think, well, I don't know if I'm prophesying or not. Don't worry. Sometimes I don't know if I'm praying or not when I'm praying at the front. Have you ever prayed up front in front of people? You're so focused on what people think of you. You're like, am I actually praying or not? I don't know if I'm praying or if I'm just... It doesn't... You've got to practice. And as you practice prophesying, practice speaking to one another about Jesus, then it becomes actually, you discover the way the Holy Spirit can use you to get alongside. So who could you be a Neville to today? Who could you come alongside and say, I, I, I don't know really what I'm saying uh, particularly, but can I have a go? Ask that God would help you to say something to someone that would encourage them and strengthen them and comfort them. To be honest, you could start by saying, do you know, I read this in the Bible this morning and Mm -hmm. I was praying for you about it. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how God might prophetically use that. Mm -hmm. we just got to do it. Now next week, we're going to be thinking much more about how it's done in public services. And we want to begin to work out how we can do this a little bit more in our public services. How we can prophesy to one another, both in smaller groups, but also as a church family. Give a bit of space for that kind of God speaking and helping us to speak to one another. It is absolutely my expectation that as God's word is preached, God is saying stuff to you. He's challenging you about stuff. He's encouraging you or rebuking you. And you could tell someone that. That's prophetic. But it's by the Spirit. And it doesn't have to be clever, and it doesn't have to be impressive. We just start speaking. And you picture Neville coming alongside someone who's flagging. You say, come on, let's keep going. And ultimately it's Jesus 
Jesus, who is the great spirit-giving Neville, who comes alongside us and gives us all that we need. Why don't we bow our heads and let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you speak. Thank you that you have spoken through your prophets. Thank you that you've spoken finally in Christ, your great final word. We thank you that we don't have to guess what you're like. We don't have to guess who you are. And Father, we pray that you teach us to speak this truth to one another. Holy Spirit, would you give us words for one another? Give us love for one another. Give us that heart that says, it's not about my personal best. I don't come to church for my personal experience. I come to church to help others, to come alongside others. Father, we pray, we would dare to pray as a church family, that even today and the coming weeks, you might give us words to say that your Spirit would use to keep someone going, to strengthen them for the fight. We pray that we'd receive words too and hear what others have to say to us. Father, please, would your spirit be at work. Teach us to prophesy. In Jesus' name, amen.